0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: We are all capable of being resilient and having grit. It's just in the mind frame and that's how you talk and how you approach yourself and how you approach this moment that you're struggling with. And don't be afraid to fail as long as you know what didn't go well and how to improve it. That's not failure at all.
2: To the self-made and the self-sufficient, our partner Edelman Financial Engines can tailor investment solutions for the wealth that you're building. And as a HerMoney listener, you'll get a complimentary financial plan when you call 833-304-PLAN or visit planefe.com slash hermoney. Hey, everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me on Her HerMoney favorite part about doing this show for, gosh, seven years now, is meeting so many amazing, amazing women. I have gotten to interview entrepreneurs, professors, doctors, senators, many of whom started on the bottom rung, beat the odds, and paved the way for other women in their fields. They have all taught me so much about resilience. And the importance of staying focused on what you want to achieve, even when life throws you obstacles. We know women do it all and do it well. And the guests that we have on this show every week prove that, which is why today I can't wait to introduce another amazing woman to all of you. She has done it all and done it all well in the world of sports. Oksana Masters is a Paralympic athlete. She's won. 17 medals in not just one but four different sports. She has competed against the best of the best in rowing, cross country skiing, cycling, and the biathlon. In 2020, she was named Sportsperson of the Year with a Disability, and she is also the author of a brand new book just out this week. It's called The Hard Parts, a memoir of courage, and triumph. And we're gonna talk about her journey to becoming a professional athlete, the obstacles she faced along the way, and how we can all cultivate a little bit more grit in our lives so that we can succeed in our careers and all the goals that we want. Oksana, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Congrats on the book. Hi, Jean, thank you so much. I can't believe it when you said author, I was like, oh my God, that's me isn't it it's i mean i a book is writing a book is its own special kind of hell and it's like giving birth and you feel like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh and all of a sudden it's there and you have it for the rest of your life so congratulations can we take a step back and start with your childhood you were born in ukraine you spent the first 7 years of your life in an orphanage or several tell us about your experience there and how you eventually came to the U.S. I
1: originally lived in three different orphanages. The one that I remember the most about is the last one, the one that was where my mom found me. And that's the one where I, it's basically like what you think. No child should live in an orphanage and be raised in their, let alone like seven and a half years of their life. I definitely, When my mom adopted me, I was considered failure to thrive and wasn't expected much of many years to come to live and live healthy. We struggled to have food. There was different types of abuse going on. I was the youngest one, so it was definitely more of an extra challenge. And then it's just, you know, the funny thing, because now I was adopted by my mom, who's a single parent, as a little kid in Ukraine, I was like, I just want a mom. I want a, I dreamed about a mom. I never really said I want a mom and a dad or like the whole family. I just, mom was the only thing my heart really wanted and I really wanted And That's exactly what I got. My mom adopted me as a single parent on a single income and never was married and took that biggest leap of faith of her life to go and get me. She wanted a baby. She did not want an opinionated seven-year-old and that's what she ended up walking <laughs> home
2: with. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how our life started. You came to the U.S. How was the adjustment here? The adjustment was, it was filled with Walmarts and Scooby-Doo's,
1: to be honest, <laughs> learning English from Scooby-Doo movies, and my first experience, because we struggled with the jet lag and the time changes, we were both up, and the only thing that's open 24-7 in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, my mom thought of Walmart, and we went there, and Oh, my gosh. I have never seen so much bright light and color before in my life in a building. Because where (laughs) I came from, it was my mom, the day she was coming to get me, it was freezing. We didn't have heaters in the building, and it was winter, and there were women chipping away ice on the floor, and you could see your breath. And then all of a sudden, you're in this building, and there's food that is literally, you can just grab and touch And it's just sitting there and it's a lot of it and colors and the lights. And it was definitely an experience (laughs) and a different culture shock for sure, especially coming from like an orphanage where you don't really get out much. But it was also exciting and then also hard, the adjustment because of the things I experienced as a kid, going to sleep on a warm bed and in a warm house and with toys it made me uncomfortable. I didn't know how to because it wasn't my familiar. It wasn't my normalcy. and But it was amazing. My mom, oh my gosh, I am so grateful and thankful that my mom was willing to fight that two-year
2: battle to get me. You found your way to sports the age of 13 when you tried rowing for the first time. Tell us about what was going through your mind and for those people in my audience who don't really know you or your limitations, disabilities. Tell us a little bit more about you and what you experienced in coming to sports.
1: Yeah, so I now I'm an athlete for Team USA and compete in the Paralympics. But what got me to that is because, I mean, it's so funny. It's like saying like, I always like, think I'm like, oh, it's so funny to say like, oh, well, it took me to like have both of my leg amputations to get into sports and be an athlete. But when I was born in Ukraine, my birth defects—I was born with my legs, but I had a whole slew of things, including my hair won't curl too. On top of all the
2: like, I don't design disability, but it won't curl. That sounds like it's the worst part of everything.
1: It is. That's the hardest thing. You're like, okay, okay. But then, like, you know, the one side, it will curl. It gives you hope. You're like, okay, we're going to work. This is
2: happening. And then the other side's like, no, it's not. It wants to be straight. So We could debate that for the entire show because I grew up with hair that, if anybody listening, saw Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, if I don't do anything to my hair, it looks like that episode of Courtney Cox and Friends when she's playing ping pong. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all I wanted was straight hair. But what you went through with with your leg amputations and coming to sports is, you know, that's the real stuff.
1: Yeah. So when I started rowing, first I didn't want to do rowing and I didn't want to do it because the way it was presented to me was adapted rowing. And just because, so at that time I was missing, I had one leg amputated and above the knee, and I still had my right real leg. It was deformed. And when I say deformed, it was missing the main weight bearing bones. Long story short, with all the stuff with my hands and my anatomy that I was born with, all these different birth defects was resulted from radiation. and. When I introduced rowing, they said, try and adapt the sport. And I'm like 13 years old. I'm a girl. This point, I think I have the world figured out because no one can tell you anything when you're 13. And I didn't like it because it clumped me into a specific group just because of my prosthetic leg. But then I tried it and I fell in love with the water and that sport itself wasn't for competitiveness at that point. It was my therapy to process things that I experienced as a child in the orphanages. And then when the doctor said, you have to amputate your second leg, here's a time frame. it's up to you, but you have to make the choice within this time frame. and we can do it as soon as tomorrow. And that's a lot of news to process. And I processed it all in, on the water when I was rowing. And finally I decided that I didn't really have the best quality of life right now and made the decision to go on and amputate my leg. And the amputation did not go to plan. They promised to amputate below the knee and it ended up being above the knee and that added a whole challenge of things. And that's outside of coming from Ukraine to America in that side of adjusting, that was a whole nother anger side of me that
2: just brewed deep that I used sports as an outlet. When I'm talking to you now, you're making jokes about the fact that your hair won't curl. And you are an incredibly positive person. Just to tell a little story out of school before we started taping the smoke detector in Oksana's basement was going off and she described how she was going to go down there and just beat the life out of it like Phoebe did in Friends. That's where our Friends conversation started today. You know, you radiate a lot of joy. And I'm wondering how you got this way. I mean, I think, and I, I talk about this in the speeches that I give, I think resilience is the most important life skill and financial skill that a person can have. Were you born this way? No.
1: (laughs) I was not born this way. I didn't have it until I was honestly like 16, 17, 18 years old. What I realized at that time is how I'm not a positive person. I'm positive to my friends. I radiate this to my friends and everyone else but behind closed doors and in the mirror. I was the meanest person to myself. I did not like what I saw in the mirror and talked, thought very negatively and kind of was falling into what allowing outside noises like society who's determining what I can and can't do because I'm missing my legs or, oh my gosh, she's going to need all this help and therapy from the trauma you experience and just determining so much for you. And then that amputation that was kind of that boiling point where I felt like I needed to start like taking control of my life and that was sports. And I used that as a way to just learn me, learn how to love me, learn how to love my body, learn what I can do and the strengths that I have and not letting outside noises determine things for me. And as an athlete even, I was really determined, hardworking, resilient, all these things. What I was lacking and why it took me my fourth Paralympic Games to get to this point was the confidence and that positivity and
2: seeing in that light, and it's, it was a challenge. What happened at those fourth Paralympic Games that finally flipped the switch for you? And what is it about sports? I think back to those early Nike ads, the Just Do It ads, where they put those young girls front and center, and the body of research that shows us that young women who play sports do better in life, in their careers, in school. So you can take those in, in whatever order you like. I didn't see myself as an athlete, first of all,
1: at all. So I didn't really identify or really look into sports But you did mention the Nike ads and one of the favorite things that Nike has also saying is like, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And that's something I did not really realize. My body can be athletic and I am an athlete and can be an athlete. When you're on the start line it's funny how all of a sudden you have all these insecurities and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden the, the clock goes, I just, I love that sound and I live for that sound. And then you just go and you react and you're in the moment. You can't focus on anything else. You can't focus about the outside world. You're in the moment and locked in and, and autopilot from all the training and you're just flowing. And that's where I do all my processing from my childhood and think about things. But in 2018, in the Winter Paralympic Games... That was the fourth games I was going in. And the first time I actually had, my first time I had sponsors, the first time I actually believed in myself, I can be a gold medalist because up to that point, I was second or third best. I was never able to get to that top step. And honestly, it's because I didn't believe myself and I doubted myself. And then everything just started lining up and I felt so ready. And I knew this was going to be, finally, I believed I was capable and worthy of becoming a gold medalist until I'm a klutz. (laughs) If I had legs or not, I'm just born to be a klutz. But what happened leading in is three weeks out, I ended up falling and breaking my elbow. And a lot of doctors said I would not be able to go to the games. My journey stops there. And oh my gosh, I refuse to believe it because I guess Looking back all these years when people told me like what they thought and then I should settle because they think this, I refused to do that. It wasn't about, at that point, winning. It was just getting to the start line and just seeing what I can do with this. I know that winning wasn't going to be a thing anymore, but I just wanted to prove to my sponsors, prove to my mom, do everything I could that that I'm not going to give up just because of one bad luck fall.
2: Exactly. Because I was determined to get a mimosa. Well, you put a pin in that thought for one second. I am going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and tell everybody not just what happened at those games, but also your advice for how the rest of us can harness our own resilience, and because this is a money show, I want to talk about the money. I want to talk about your sponsors and what that's felt like to turn this into a a career that pays. But before we do that, we're going to remind everybody that this show and these conversations are brought to you by our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines. EFE can tailor Investment solutions for the wealth that you are building and growing and protecting. Their investment management approach, it's based on Nobel Prize winning research and their planners don't sell products to earn commissions, period. So no matter where you're going next, it's a smart move to see how they can help you get there. The way to do that is to go to planEFE.com slash or pick up the phone and call 833-304-PLAN. I am talking with Oksana Masters. She is a 17 time Paralympic medalist, a new author, a brand new author. Her book is called The Hard Parts, a memoir of courage and triumph. So let's talk about what happened in those games. You were gonna get to the start line so that you could get a mimosa. which is a very appropriate goal in my book, what happened? I actually didn't even know if I was going to be able to
1: start and line up on the start line the day before the race. And I did. I had an incredible, incredible support team. And long story short, I ended up going home with two gold medals, two silver and a bronze medal. And it was not at all anything I could have dreamed of. And honestly, it was Because of my incredible, incredible support team that I had and the entire Team USA staff there.
2: And because of the resilience that lies in you, how do we get some of this? If you were giving advice to somebody who's going through a rough patch in their own life or their own finances, and they need to be a little more resilient, they need to harness a little more grit, what would you tell them?
1: I would say... Something that I've told myself over and over in this moment, and this hard part that you're in, this moment in your life where you're struggling, it is not gonna be your forever. It's going to get easier, it's going to get better. And to just every single day, control the things you can control and focus on the things that are going to make a positive impact for your tomorrow, not just focusing on the bad. We are all capable of being resilient and having grit. It's just in the mind frame and that's how you talk and how you approach yourself and how you approach this moment that you're struggling with. And don't be afraid to fail as long as you know what didn't go well and how to improve it. That's not failure at all. And you can do something every single day that's gonna help you get better and achieve your goal. And it's totally mindset because in my third Paralympic Games in Sochi, I ran out of money and I was living out of a car. And what a lot of people didn't realize is This happens often with Paralympic athletes. I I didn't have sponsors at that point. You're basically paying to be more of an athlete at that time, and I I was paying to be an athlete and compete. I felt trapped. I felt like I couldn't get out of it. There's no way in the world. And it's me looking at where I am now and in that moment, and it's because I didn't choose to just live in that moment and feel trapped and focus on being in this hard moment and Made plans and kept having my why and being motivated and staying hungry, not being afraid to pivot and adjust when your path that you're on gets totally derailed and you have to start all over. And there's beauty in that and there's strength in it and there's a lot of power in it.
2: It's also easier said than done. No, but I think it's a muscle. I think it's a bit of a muscle and you gotta, if it doesn't work today, you try it again tomorrow. And I think the process that you went through where you figured out that you could shut out the negative voice in your head while you were on the water was probably a big turning point. That for those of us, and many women are like this, I'm certainly like this, we have these negative radios in our head. We've got to figure out some way to convince them that they're wrong, but that's long-term. In the moment, we got to figure out some way to turn them off. I think it's really important to
1: celebrate the things that are going well in those moments, not just focusing on, oh my gosh, I didn't achieve this. I didn't get this done today. I think women in general don't allow, I feel like this as a female maybe, but I don't celebrate my accomplishments, my achievements or things that, like, I did well a lot. I'm focused on, like, the next. But don't be afraid to celebrate that thing that, that's, even if a small thing today, like, anything. Yeah. Checked off the laundry. I finally got that done. It was there for three weeks. Not going to see that pile anymore. And just, like, how that makes you feel good and apply that to,
2: and there's no perfect timeline to it. No, no, there definitely isn't. Now that the money has come or started to come. How are you handling that? What is your financial life plan? I'm in an interesting spot because
1: it's kind of a little bit of like those memories from the orphanages creep up sometimes. And I'm afraid, like I hoard food like nobody's business because I'm ready for that day in case i never have it. And it's the same with money right now. I'm not that I'm hoarding it, but I am so fearful of going back to losing everything and going back to living in my car and in those moments because as a paralympic athlete it is challenging and i'm a klutz and i'm overcoming an injury right now so i missed a whole season but i am learning how to set myself up to be a, a financially more like knowledgeable on how to help myself in the future whether when sports is specifically when sports is done because I'm human, there is a time limit to like being an athlete at that level. And I'm so lucky to be able to have the partners now that I have that are seeing worth in women and women in adaptive sports and investing in us, because that's helping my sport, people with disabilities and just society see how resilient we all are and what resiliency looks like and my goal is to help bring awareness to it
2: so more athletes paralympic athletes get the opportunities to have that support no it's fantastic and i think you have a platform and you're going to use that platform you know to help others but also to support yourself long term which is fantastic what comes next for you and as we wrap this up where can our listeners find out more about you what comes next is the
1: launching of my memoir, The Hard Parts, Story of Courage and Triumph. And where they can find that and follow my journey is at oksanamastersusa.com or social media, just masters Instagram. But yeah, the memoir is my passion right now. I'm training right now for the Paralympic Games, but I really am hoping people I don't want people necessarily to read about and learn about me. I hope when people read this book and they just feel empowered and 10 feet taller and ready to overcome their hard moment that they're in and realize this isn't my forever.
2: And it's going to get easier and you can rewrite your own story. I think that they will. Just listening to you for the last 30 minutes, I think they absolutely will. Oksana, thank you so much for being with us today. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jean, for having me. Of course. Before we dive into our mailbag, just a reminder that our show and our conversations are supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union that measures its success by empowering its members to achieve their financial goals. They want your banking experience to be authentic and friendly, which is why their products let you bank in confidence, and their service gives you peace of mind. You can see if you're eligible for what BCU has to offer at bcu.org.
0: Catherine Tuggle is joining me for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. That was such an inspirational chat. I'm so glad that she was able to join us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I do think, I mean, I said this while I was talking to her, but I have been incorporating resilience into the talks that I give, Throughout the pandemic, but also uh, for years before, I, I had done a piece of research that found that resilience was one of those life skills that actually enables people to succeed in all sorts of economies, along with things like optimism and gratitude. And some people are born with more of it than others but it's cultivatable you can learn it and her instructions for learning it were right on you control what you can control and you can figure out a way to let the other stuff go
0: yeah yeah and i feel like for people who have a physical constraint it is such a unique struggle those of us who have able bodies i think it's very hard to conceive of and the whole time she was talking i was thinking like People who live in chronic pain and people who have disabilities, like we see you, you know, and I I think that that is such a part of this struggle is being seen and feeling worthy and knowing that other people understand what you're going through. Yeah, or if not, understand, because I
2: don't know if it's possible to completely understand. I don't know that I could ever understand what it's like to have a physical disability like she has, right? I mean, I, yeah, I
0: understand was the wrong word, I think. But empathize, respect. right? Yeah. I,
2: respect is a better
0: word. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I think appreciate and give you the floor when we can. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a financial issue, right? The Americans with Disabilities Act exists for a very big financial reason. We know that people with disabilities often struggle financially because they don't get the jobs and they don't have the opportunities to build the same financial security. And so the onus is on all of us who employ people to make sure that the doors are open.
0: Yeah. And there's all kinds of ways that I think that that expense presents itself in your life. Like I think about when my mother-in-law broke her knee and she took public transportation to work every day, but... What we found during this time is that 30%, I would say roughly, of the city's subway stations, the elevator, would either be broken or they weren't disabled accessible. So she ended up spending so much more money on Ubers to get to and from work during that period that she was healing from her knee surgery. But this is the kind of thing that people who have a disability deal with every single day. Yeah, such a good point. Clearly, we have a lot of work
2: to do, but I enjoyed talking to Oksana, and I enjoyed her telling us. We asked, she spells her name like Oksana Bayul, the figure skater, but as she said, if you're Ukrainian, it's Oksana, and if you're Russian, it's Oksana, so we learned something new,
0: too. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Let's take a couple of questions. Yeah. Well, the first item out of our mailbag today is not a question. It is a a very nice message from Dr. Laura Sinnott, an audiologist, She writes, Hello, Harmony team. I am late to the financial planning world. I am 43, but I've finally started listening to and learning from your podcast for almost two years now. I feel like it's the best source of information between the advice Jean and her team provides, as well as the guests. The latest show that I listened to was with Joy Altamare. What an inspiring woman. During mailbag, Jean gave some advice about health and finances. She pointed out that if we visit the dentist regularly, we can save money and discomfort down the road on expensive issues that arise without preventative care. She mentioned vision visits as well. I just wanted to point out that hearing health, which is often sidelined and ignored, is another part of preventative health that can save thousands of dollars down the road. Unfortunately, preventative hearing health is usually not covered by insurance, no surprise, but visits can be like dental cleanings, $100 to $200 for hearing evaluations, and most importantly, education about how to prevent hearing loss and hearing disorders. Hearing loss is a modifiable risk factor for slowing down dementia. Hearing aids can cost four dollars to $10,000 for a pair. Over-the-counter hearing aids have promise, as most are $1,000 or less, but navigating the -the over-the-counter hearing aid world is tricky, and some can even make your hearing worse. And still, no hearing aid ever brings your hearing back to normal. Preventing hearing loss and hearing issues is by far the best approach. Anyway, this is the first time I was ever listening and thought, oh, she's missing something. So I wanted to bring it to your attention. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Laura, and thanks for writing. So you're not off the hook
2: because I don't think we've ever written about the steps that you need to take in order to prevent hearing loss and make it a less expensive problem down the road. So a member of our team is going to reach out to get your top five tips for that. And you can look forward to reading about it in a future Her Money article and hearing about it in a future Thrive segment on the podcast. So thanks for doing our work for us and teeing up this important topic. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I love it. And you can tell me, Laura, if this is actually accurate, but my husband and I, when we watch TV, we'll often have the subtitles on, and I feel like this enables us to listen at a lower volume. So I have always felt like maybe this was an advantage rather than cranking up the volume to hear something subtle. We're actually just keeping it low at all times. So you can tell me if I got that one right. (laughs) (laughs) We only have the subtitles on when we're watching something
2: foreign, but also the dramas from Britain. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the accents are so thick that I can't, they're Scottish or they're Welsh and I can't quite get all the words. So we always have the subtitles on for that. And it is a huge, huge help.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I do that all the time with stuff out of England or Wales or Scotland. Our next question in the mailbag today comes to us from Sarah. She writes, hi Jean. I quit my full-time job last summer, and I'm now freelancing part-time. I'm considering setting up a solo 401k for retirement. My husband's an attorney, and his salary is above the Roth IRA income limits, so we can't contribute to one. Am I restricted from having a solo Roth 401k because of my husband's higher income? He says I have to set up a traditional solo 401k, but I'm confused if the no income limitations applies to married couples. Any advice and information on solo 401ks would be appreciated. Thank you. So
2: Sarah, I did not know the answer to this one off the top of my head. So we reached out and got some advice from Sarah Sprague Gerber. She is a certified financial planner with Momentum Financial Planning. And basically, we learned that you're right. There are no income limitations when it comes to making Roth contributions to a solo 401k. It's very similar to the way that a Roth Roth 401k would operate at any other company. When you set up a solo 401k, you as the employer can elect to allow both traditional pre-tax and Roth contributions for yourself as the employee. You can also contribute to the same 401k, the same solo 401k as the employer. And those contributions have to be pre-tax, but it enables you to double up on contributions for yourself. Now, one thing that you do want to know is that not all financial institutions that offer solo 401ks offer the Roth option. So you're going to want to make sure that you do your homework before you go on and open one up. And you're right, there are income limitations for a plain old Roth IRA, and these are totally separate. For married couples who are filing jointly, the income limit for a Roth IRA for 2023 is $228 thousand dollars and the income limit to make a full contribution is $218,000. So in between that $218,000 and the 228, the amount that you're able to contribute starts to phase back. Assuming that you are above that limit, if you want to stay simple, you could contribute to a traditional IRA without taking the deduction and later convert that money to a Roth IRA, which is essentially what we call a backdoor Roth. You could also think about setting up a SEP IRA, which uh, allows you to make a bigger contribution than you can to a traditional IRA or a Roth I-R-A. It really depends on how you structure your business, whether or not you have employees. You're gonna to wanna to talk to your accountant before you do that. But I hope that this information is helpful. I wanna say thank you to both Sarah, Sarah who wrote us the letter, and Sarah Sprague Gergber for help with the advice.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Jean, for the great insight. Thanks, Catherine. And in today's
2: Thrive, The housing market has been a bit of a roller coaster this past year. And even though mortgage rates have cooled a little bit recently, we are still seeing high housing prices and tight supply. You might be wondering if now's the right time to buy a house or if you should just wait for prices to drop. The thing is, timing the housing market can be just as tricky as timing the stock market. That's why your decision to buy should be less about the overall economy and more about your personal economy, your income, your debt, your goals. They all take precedence. At Her Money, we've got a checklist of everything you should think about before putting an offer on a house. And I wanted to share just a few of those tips with you right now. First, set up your budget. You can enter your income, debts, and credit score into an online housing affordability calculator to determine the overall price you can afford in your area. The down payment, the monthly mortgage, the cost of insurance. There are many of these calculators on the website. Next, do your research. Websites like Realtor and Zillow.com publish reports and housing forecasts for different regions you want to read them to get a better sense of what's a good deal in your area and when it comes to looking at specific houses you could find some hidden gems by expanding your horizons and your toolbox finally if you are stressed and you're feeling regret that you were not able to buy a house earlier take a look at the bigger picture Yes, mortgage rates right now are higher than they were, and it can feel disheartening to think that you missed the train. But if you look back to the 90s or earlier, the rates that we're seeing now were actually pretty good, and people back then were still able to buy homes, pay off mortgages, and live their lives. If you couldn't afford to buy a house a couple of years ago, but you can now, then now is the best time to start thinking about doing it. What matters most is your individual financial situation. Don't let the headlines stress you out. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Oksana for sharing her amazing story of grit and resilience and showing us how we can be more resilient in our own lives. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review, we love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.